From coast to coast and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Online with Bill Alexander is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio around. Online with Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM, McKeesport, WLDJFM 107.5, Newcastle. And we're now on Delmarva Talk Radio in Delvarma, Delmarva, Delaware. I can get it out at uh, DelmarvaTalkRadio.com. And of course, we're streaming live at italknet.com. Boy, we actually grew one more station since I talked to you guys last week. And of course, we were also on TV occasionally at Fayette TV. Uh, Fayette TV, that's right, FayetteTV.org. I, get, I can't, can't keep everything straight. We're just moving so fast that everything just keeps going in one direction, and that's forward, and that's awesome. Hope everything's going fine for you. I know most of us are still in a uh, stay-at-home state due to the uh, pandemic that's going on in the United States and most of the world right now. And um, I want to bring in guests while this is going on that are lighthearted, that are talking about things that we can improve ourselves with, how we can use this time um, usefully and to work on our own well-being. And tonight I have that person on the phone line. I have Wendy uh, Friesen, who is uh, with me from her website, Wendy, that's with an I, dot com. Wendy, how are you doing this evening? I am doing fantastic. I'm so excited to meet you here. Well, I'm so glad you could join us this evening. And as I said um, before before I brought you on, we're all at home right now, or at least most of us are, and we need a way to get through this and how to make ourselves better people. And I think you actually have a way of doing that. Yeah, I do. I work with a lot of people who have anxiety or depression or some really serious, like, um, kind of mental illness problems. Okay. But for most of us right now, we're just fighting boredom and trying to figure out a way to keep entertaining ourselves. Today, I was talking to my son, um, who lives here with me. I said, you know, it's interesting not having anything to look forward to or plan for, that we aren't thinking about, oh, what do I need when I'm going to this wine club? Or what do I need going to this potluck? Or I'm meeting someone. Isn't that weird, having nothing to plan for? Well, especially a few weeks ago when we had when we had Easter. And it was just so awkward because it didn't feel like Easter was here because you didn't see anybody. You couldn't see family. You couldn't go to church. Yeah. You couldn't do anything like that. And it was like, this is like we're in limbo, like we're stuck, and we have no way of doing things. And like you said, we have nothing to look forward to. I have a son that's... Especially when you hear the news, like today, they're talking about in Colorado, where I'm at, they're talking about a whole other month. And Holy our governor cow. said May is going to be just like April. <laughs> well, our governor cool. in Pennsylvania just opened ours up. May 8th is when they're going to start... Um, relaxing restrictions but we've been dealing with we've been stuck at home since march 13th yeah yeah so it, it's it's yeah. been it's been a long time but i was going to say my son who is uh, a college sophomore lost his whole uh second semester of his sophomore year he's trying to get through the work because everything's online and he's a performing arts major so that's really tough to perform online 
especially when you have to have mm. input in a room with live people. And then the other thing is mm-hmm. his birthday, his 20th birthday is happening on May 1st, and we're going to still be stuck in quarantine. Oh, wow. So, well, yeah, and it's it's hard for all of us to not have a purpose. Like, I mean, you've got a purpose. You have this show that you right. do, and, you know, I'm I'm doing work on my business, but it doesn't feel the same, and I don't feel like I have this bigger purpose or something that's driving me. I'm really unmotivated, and I hate to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but just so everyone out there knows, you know, even someone like me who has the skills to motivate right. people and inspire people, I'm feeling really unmotivated as well, and it's just, it's the strangest thing. Kind of wander around, go get some more food out of the fridge, see if there's more ice cream, and... <laughs> but wait, 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 You're a hypnotist. Can't you hypnotize yourself not to go to the fridge and get the ice cream? <laughs> yeah, actually, I do. You know, and um, people who have eating problems, that's one of the easiest things to work with, even though they think, well, I just can't stop myself from right. snacking and eating. It's just this boredom, because... We get this dopamine rush and the endorphins from eating certain foods. Right. And for some people who have like a real addiction to sugar or carbs, they they need that because they're bored. And usually we get it from other things. We get the dopamine rush from going out and doing fun stuff. Right. So w- with you being um, like the rest of us, stuck at home, how are you able to work with your clients? Well, I've been doing some online workshops, so do them on Zoom, and okay. I'll work with several people at a time. And since um, hypnosis typically is better done one-on-one in person, but doing it online is not too bad if I'm seeing their faces because oh, cool. I know you know they've got their eyes closed, they're relaxed. Okay. And uh, <laughs> but um, I did an interview on a podcast a few days ago, and the man who was the host. He asked me to do a little hypnosis session at the end, and this was not on video. It was just on the phone. Right. And after, after I was done, and like I say, it was kind of short. It was 10 minutes. And I said, okay, now you're going to open your eyes, take a deep breath. You'll feel refreshed and wide awake. And there was no sound there. And I said, Dr. Bob? <laughs> Dr. Bob? <laughs> Dr. Bob? Are you there? And there was nothing there. Uh-huh. And I didn't know what to do. So um, if you ever saw that movie, What About Bob? I yes. actually was thinking I yes. needed to say, cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, I finally just hung up, and then he emailed me about an hour later, and he said, I guess I just went really deep, and I just didn't come back out until an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's interesting. I, please tell me you gave him some type of suggestion for him to do something crazy when he heard a bell or something. Yeah, you will bark like a dog. (laughs) So still barking to this day. (laughs) So, Wendy, how long have you been doing hypnosis? I started in 1994, and at that time, there weren't any like websites for hypnosis. It was really hard to build a website, but I got into it kind of by accident. I just saw a little tiny ad in the classified section of the newspaper. Remember that? Oh yeah, I remember the newspaper and the classified. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was for a hypnotherapy school in Sacramento, and I called them up, and they said it starts tonight, and I thought, oh, huh. So she said, come to the first three three classes for free, and I was intrigued. I just loved it, and Bill, I found something that is my calling and my passion and that I love, and I just got really good at it, and then I'm a good marketer as well, and having marketing skills really okay. helps me a lot. So I did a lot of really creative things because, like we said, back then, you didn't have, like, the Internet. And 
I didn't have the ability to build a web page, but I had a 12-year-old nephew, and he knew how to code right. make a web page. So he made me a web page that was just one page, and it had like four topics on it. It had stop smoking and lose weight, and um, <laughs> there's hypnosis for breast enlargement. This sounds crazy, huh? I know, but <laughs> okay. I recorded on cassette tape a program for hypnosis for breast enlargement, and there's research from like UCLA and Stanford and all over. And so anyway, there were these little tiny icons that he made yes. that moved, like like the one that was a little fat kind of person. It got skinnier in three steps. Okay. The cigarette made puffs of smoke come out in three little steps. And the boob, it was like a side profile of a boob. And it, <laughs> it got, got larger. <laughs> it got bigger, bigger, bigger. These things were half inch probably at the most. Right. People went to that website to see that boob. <laughs> I, I had so much traffic because I had a boob uh-huh. that grew three, three sizes. <laughs> So, yeah, back then, I just, that worked, and then I started selling things on cassette tape, uh-huh. but it was pretty funky how I had to make them, but oh. I, I made them and labeled them, and things took off, and it grew into a business, it grew really, really fast, well, that's um, great. and I ended up with 18 full-time employees, a big 3,000-square-foot office, and I advertised on talk radio, that's right. how I built my business, with national talk radio, and I was spending 80000 a month on talk radio advertising. Wow. Yeah. Let alone having, I mean, that's impressive that you had $80,000 a month to spend on advertising. So you must have been pulling in a lot. You must have been pulling a lot in then to be able to do that. Yeah, I was at the peak. I was doing about 350000 a month. Wow. But it didn't start like that. I was really poor. Bill, I was, I was just poor and pitiful. And I was a single mom. I had, I just had no money. They, oh God, they'd keep turning off the utilities and it was horrible. So I had to work on myself with my own hypnosis techniques to find out why I was sabotaging myself, why I couldn't get out of that poverty mindset. Right. And I asked a part of me that wanted me to fail what it needed and why it needed it. And that part said, I need you to be pitiful. And that was, that made me cry. It was horrible. And I asked that part, what do you want even deeper? And it said, I need you to be more pitiful. And that was terrible too. But then I said, um, why do you need me to be more pitiful? And I actually had this part of me that told me, because then you'll be rescued. Okay. So the positive reason for me staying in that horrible state was that this part of me thought I needed to be rescued by someone. Right. And then I, I... I did some more work on myself, but then one of the next important things I did was to take myself a year in the future in hypnosis. And the people listening, you can do this on your own. It is a really great thing to do, especially now since you've got free time like crazy. But I went all the way to a year in the future, imagining that I'm seeing all these people's faces that I've helped. And apparently in that future, I had written a book and everybody was buying my book and, and things were going amazingly. And I took a post-it note, and I wrote on the post-it note one year from now that I will have, have made one million or more okay. in my hypnosis business. And after one year, I had indeed wrote, written a book, and I had made $1,012,000 that year. Wow. 
I know. And it, it's so weird because I had no resources, no help, no investors. Mm-hmm. And I was going from being in debt like the IRS guy knocked on my front door repeatedly because I owed the money. <laughs> and I pulled it. I pulled myself out by doing the work emotionally. And there was a little more to it, but that's kind of the, the basis of how we can change things really fast. So what I think is interesting is you said that, that you, you were digging into yourself and that part of you wanted to be self-rescued. How, how were you doing the introspection to find out what was going on? How were you, how were you able to do that? Because a lot of people have discussions with themselves and usually it's, Three or four minutes, they go through it, and then it they just forget about it. But you <laughs> actually did it and did something with it. Yeah, yeah. And most of our self-talk, or the things we're talking about, we say, oh, you're so stupid, you're not going to be able to pull this off. Right. You know, we're very negative on ourselves. Yeah, so what you do, and for the listeners out there, you can learn to do this. It's really simple. If you close your eyes and you relax a bit, and then you decide – there's a part of me that is sabotaging my success or a part that does not want me to create wealth or, or a part of me that's uncomfortable about um, wanting to work, that I, okay. I don't want to work, I just feel lazy. So you find whatever your thing is, you ask where that part is in your body, and you'll feel a tightness or a tension somewhere in your body. For me, it was in my belly. And, but you'll feel it somewhere, maybe your shoulders, maybe in your head, and then... You ask that part, what do you really want? And you just wait and be quiet and listen to what that part says. It's, the part is trying to help you. It has a positive intention, but it's doing its job in a way that you maybe don't like. So you ask, what, are you really, what do you want? And in my case, it said, I need you to be pitiful. And then you say thank you to the part. You take a breath and then say even deeper, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And the part says whatever it says, and you say thank you. And you say, why do you need this? Or why are you doing this? So you just have three questions. What do you want? Even deeper, what do you want? And why are you doing this? Or what do you need? Either one of those. And then you'll get an answer that will probably blow your mind. It isn't a complicated thing to do, but we just are so busy analyzing everything and trying to think through stuff. We don't spend enough time getting quiet and listening to that inner voice in our subconscious. And now we have plenty of time to do it. Um, we do. Because <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting. And I I know that in the past um, I've spoke to um, hypnotists about it. And, and they come off very different than you do. You actually come off as very nurturing and someone that wants to help people to be able to find the best you they possibly or best them they possibly can be. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at your website that you have and you have um, the courses that you do online, um, which I think is interesting. My favorite new one right now is don't touch your face. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's really interesting because you offer some that are of course of a cost. And then you offer some free programs too, where people can actually Mm -hmm. get a taste of what you do. Now, if I was a stranger off the street and I thought all hip hypnosis was just a gimmick, a scheme, a way to get people to do things that they wouldn't normally would want to do. What would you say to them to convince them otherwise? 
Well, a lot of people have an idea that, you know, when we talk about hypnosis, it's a like the stage show things that we do. And those right. are very funny. And, um, you know, people are in hypnosis, but a lot of them are just kind of going along with it because they want to, you know, they want to please the hypnotist. Right. And it's still a lot of fun. I did stage shows for a while, and it was a blast. But what hypnotherapy is, is looking to get answers from your subconscious mind. And I'm sure you know, Bill, that our subconscious mind is so insanely powerful and full of all the solutions to anything you could possibly want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if you think about, were you ever a smoker? No. Thank goodness. No. If, yeah, well, if you were, people who are, they know how hard it is to quit, and they go through torture mm -hmm. for so long to try and quit and keep going back to it and stuff. But when we do hypnotherapy to help people stop smoking, they just say, huh, I just don't want a cigarette. It doesn't matter anymore. And then I work a lot with drug and alcohol addiction, and, you know, that's just a huge business for rehabs and the amount of money that you spend on these rehabs is ridiculous. Right. And they have an incredibly low success rate. It's like 5 to 7%. But the, the ones of us who use hypnotherapy for drug and alcohol addiction, and I tell you, it doesn't make any sense that it could be this easy, but people say, huh, just does, I don't think about it anymore. I just, it's been a week and I haven't had a drink and I don't even think about it. It's not a thing. It's the oddest thing. There was um, one of my clients who had quit drinking about a month earlier with my program. And um, for any of you who are struggling with drinking, especially if it's increased during our isolation, yes, you, this is really important because he, it had been a month since he quit. He was at a conference sitting at the bar drinking his club soda. And he said, my friend came up and bought me a drink of my favorite whiskey. He waved it under my nose. And you know that that olfactory trigger is like the most powerful one. And he says, when I smelled that whiskey, I knew I was totally free. It didn't do anything to me. It was like, huh. And I didn't taste it or anything because I didn't want it. Right. But it was like just neutralized, which it just blows me away how we have the power to do that with such horrible addictions like alcohol and drugs as well. What what I think is interesting to me, and it sounds to me like with with what you do with hypnotherapy, is that it's something that we could all do, because basically it sounds to me like you're rewiring the brain, um, using a term, to mm -hmm. be able to get it to do things that aren't, because a lot of this stuff that, that you're working with is self-destructive. And how to yeah, yeah, how yeah. to work how to work it out so you're less self destructive or that I mean one of the issues I have and I go through stages is I bite my nails and it is a it mm. is a stress reliever for me especially when I drive because if I get frustrated or something the first thing I do is I go to one nail and I rip it off and then oh, oh. <laughs> I know it's been a bad habit for a long time but there are periods of time where I can go through cycles. And I don't do it. And then whenever the stress builds back up again, I do it. So it's one of yeah. those things, how to deal with stress. Now, another thing, since I've been home, I've noticed this too, is like you said, I deal with stress or I deal with boredom by eating. And I've gained 10 mm -hmm. pounds since we've been home for the oh. month. Yeah, uh, uh -oh. yeah. And I've always had an issue with my weight that I can, it goes up and down constantly. But it, it, it again, just being able to trigger it in a way or work in a way to reprogram yourself saying, no, you don't need that. 
So when you do this, do you give them other things that aren't self-destructive or other things for them to do when they feel this need to bite the nails, go to the refrigerator, take that drink? Is that what you're working on? Yeah, and I've done it in a way that um, it doesn't use any negative suggestions. For instance, in your brain, you're thinking you don't need that. Right. So what you reinforced in your brain was, like you said, with the neural pathways of rewiring the brain, you're still causing the thoughts to go to all the emotions that are about biting your fingernails when you say you don't need that. So you're still saying need that. So what Uh, we want to do is have something opposite, like for for the alcohol or drug program, I have people go into their future, into several different points in the future, and they feel themselves being totally free from the old drugs they used to do or the alcohol. They don't even think about it anymore. Okay. Um, have them connecting with relationships and having a purpose. So now you're a year in the future or you're a year and a half in the future, and you're doing something you really love, and you are so proud of yourself, and it just makes you so fired up to do more of this. Um, so now we're going to anchor their lack of desire for alcohol, for instance, um, with being happy, healthy, being like in control in their life. And then in, well, while they're still in that future, I say things like, and while you might remember that long ago you had some issues with alcohol, now it's just not a thing because what you really love is looking in the mirror and being so proud of who you are and you're strong, you're healthy, okay. you're in control. So people who have like an alcohol or drug problem, they don't talk to themselves that way. They don't say, every time I look in the mirror, I feel more proud of myself and I'm strong and I'm healthy. And I'm. They don't say those things. They say, oh, man, you've just screwed this up. You've failed so many times. You're never going right. to get past this. This is just too hard. So what we did is we cause the brain's wiring to go to a different emotion and then attach that to if you see alcohol or you see a bottle of wine or you see people drinking it doesn't matter because what you love you instantly feel what you love okay. which is being proud of yourself and yeah so we're we're reaching into a different reaction if that makes sense because i, I i'm hearing this and i i understand where you're coming from and i'm just wondering how do you explain it to a client? Do they come looking? I mean, how do they come looking for you? Do they go online? Do they hear an interview like this? I mean, how do they find you? Yeah, it's through several of those things. So um, I have some podcasts out there, so they might be listening to a podcast okay. from long ago. Or, or you know, a lot of people will really refer them because, especially with the addiction stuff, you know, they say, oh, man, I just, I can't believe it. I actually quit drinking, and I don't care about it anymore. It doesn't matter. And then someone will come from that. But from the shows I do, I'm doing a lot of guest spots right now, which is awesome, because I just want to spread the word about the addiction work. Right. People don't have to keep failing and feeling hopeless and thinking they're just a screw-up. So, yeah, they all over the place. And then in search results online, they find me, too. So with with you doing this, especially with the addiction, um, do medical professionals see this as an alternative to what they're doing, or do they look at it as just a gimmick? Yeah, it depends on which doctor. When I first started out, um, I had one client who was just a raving fan because I'd helped him so much with all his PTSD from the military. He okay. was a um, ranger. And he had all kinds of issues, but 
he went and told his doctor what I had done, and his doctor just sent all these patients to me for every malady you can imagine. And <laughs> it was great. And I would go into the doctor's office and thank him every week and, um, you know, just talk to him about what I was doing. But I was very new at this, and, Bill, I would work with people who had some really serious medical stuff, like someone who has migraines, who's had migraines for years, and even the injection wouldn't help. And we'd do some work on getting to the source of the reason for the migraines, like whatever the emotional cause Mm -hmm. of the inner conflict or maybe a traumatic event, and their migraines would be gone. And then, (laughs) whoa. Um, there was a young lady, she was about 20 years old, and she was in a motorcycle accident, and her leg her leg was detached in the accident, Ooh. and she, I know, and she had phantom pain. It was like two years after the accident, she still had horrible phantom pain in her foot, and the trauma of the accident hadn't been dealt with, okay. so I had her go through a lot of the details of the accident and just kind of neutralize it that that happened, but it's no longer like this thing that's attached to her heart and soul. And, and then we worked on getting the brain to accept that the leg had healed because what my theory was is maybe the part of it that was damaged since it's not there anymore, it can't send the message back to the brain to say it's healed. So the brain is thinking it's still oozing, infected, or damaged, right. and, and it worked. It got rid of her phantom pain. And since then, I've worked with a lot of phantom pain and gotten rid of it. But I just started doing these things with people. I, I had good skills, but these are all new um, scenarios. And it was just flat-out amazing. So uh, some of this that you're dealing with for a lot of these people are psychosomatic then. It's just something they've built up a wall so much in themselves that someone like you needs to come in and basically help them tear that wall down so they can deal with the situation Mm -hmm. that they're having a problem with. Right, because we can't seem to fix it with our conscious thoughts, with um, trying to figure it out or analyze it. It just doesn't get to where we need to be. Um, And a good example, and again, if your listeners have migraines, there's usually a really big emotional cause in migraines. This woman that her doctor sent her to me, and she had migraines every Thursday for like 15 years, horrendous ones that just flattened her out. So I had her go back to the cause of the migraines. The first time something happened that created the need for these migraines. So she's in my chair, and all of a sudden, she stops breathing, and her head is kind of jerking around because she's not breathing. Her mouth is open, and she can't breathe. Uh-huh. And I, oh, it was intense. So I said, when you feel my hand on your shoulder, and I count to three, you'll breathe easily, staying right in that moment. And I went, one, two, three, put my hand on her shoulder. She took a deep breath and went, oh. And I said, tell me what's happening right now. And she says, my husband is strangling me. He's trying to kill me. He's got his arms around my neck. So we worked through that, and we released the trauma from it and neutralized the memory. Uh-huh. And, of course, then, you know, that there's no no need to keep that with you, whatever. But, but I said, what day is it? And she said, it's Thursday. So she was strangled on a Thursday and had migraines every Thursday. Wow. Because of that memory. And so psychosomatic, not psychosomatic, I think 
assumes that we're making it happen. Okay. Because, yeah, maybe. But it's more of, it's an, you know, it is an organic problem. Like in her case, she was having a real symptom from the trauma of Thursdays. And when we neutralized it, her subconscious no longer needed to trigger that on Thursdays. And she did not have any more migraines. So that, I don't know, psychosomatic, um, it depends on what your definition of that is. But I, I don't think people need to feel like they blame themselves that, oh, my God, I'm causing this to happen. Because I think a lot of people do, and they and they don't look at that underlying reason which could cause that. Um, and, again, that's just one of those situations where you're able to help them figure that out. Um, you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM, McKeesport, WLDJ-FM 107.5, Newcastle, and Delmarva Talk Radio, Delmarva, Delaware, at delmarvatalkradio.com, and also at Fayette TV at FayetteTV.org, and, of course, streaming online at italknet.com. Boy, that is a mouthful. I never thought the more stations I picked up, the more I'd be talking. Jeez. Anyhow, I'm talking to Wendy Friesen, wendywithanei.com. Um, she is a hypno- hypnotherapist, and we're talking about um, some of the things that she's dealing with on a, a daily basis and also some of the clientele that she's helped in the past. So I also noticed on your website that you're working with kids. Now, how does that work? Yeah, well, there's a lot of issues that kids have, and I've, oh my gosh, I did a podcast about my favorite kids and the cool things that I've done with them. There was a little girl in second grade, and her mom brought her in, and she said, you know, she privately had said, well, if you mention the word math in front of my daughter, she burst into tears, and this has been going on for about a year, and said, just don't say the word math, and... (laughs) So I was talking to her daughter, and I did accidentally say the word math, but she and she started crying, and I said, it's okay, it's right. all right. Um, you know, you're okay. But we did an actual hypnosis session with a girl, and I asked her to go back to the first time she felt like she was afraid of that. And she goes back to first grade. <laughs> and I said, what's happening? And she says, the bell just rang. And I said, and what are you doing? says, I'm going to get my coat. Everybody's running to get their coat so they can go out to recess. And I said, and what else is happening? She says, well, I'm getting my coat, but there's these three boys, and they're kind of mean. And I said, what are they doing? She said, they're telling me I don't even know what one plus one plus one is. And they keep saying it, and they're being really mean that I don't, that I'm dumb, and I don't know what one plus one plus one is. So, Here's a scenario of all the kids running to get their coats, and she's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a busy thing, and then mm-hmm. three of them are teasing her. And that's where she got her fear of the word math, because you mention it, and all those emotions come back up. So we we went through the scenario again, but this time she was in charge, and she chose a, a beautiful Pegasus to come and swoop her up. <laughs> And the, <laughs> and I think the Pegasus kicked the boys down the block on the way. Uh-huh. But it took her for a flight. And so now we have anchored the feelings of freedom and being light and feeling like I'm in charge. I can take my Pegasus and fly anywhere. So no longer triggering her fear feelings. And it was that simple, Bill. That's all we did is change the, the emotions of that memory. And she was totally fine after that. So a lot of the kids... Um that have problems in schools could always could be traced back to a situation, maybe bullying, maybe an issue with a teacher or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and I've worked with bedwetting a lot, too. Um, even pretty young kids. I think my first one was Grant, and I think he was seven. Okay. And he'd never, he, he'd never not wet the bed. He wet the bed every day of his life that he could remember. And we worked on these stories about a dolphin, and he was swimming underwater with a dolphin, and the baby dolphin was showing how the blowhole works, that it keeps it closed tight and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also, he had, when I asked him to go back to a time um, where, I don't know, it's like maybe where it started or whatever, something really confusing happened for him. He had gotten up in the middle of the night to go pee. It was like maybe three years earlier. And while he was in there and his mom was with him, helping him, he saw a spider. Ah. And he freaked out because there was a spider. And when I talked to his mom about it, he said, oh, my God, yes, that totally happened. Yeah. And I said, well, I think that's been preventing him from getting up to go pee, but also just scares him. And so anyway, he, he called me the next day. His mom put him on the phone. He said, it's Grant. It's Grant. And I said, how are you doing? He says, this is the best day of my life. Because <laughs> he didn't wet the bed. Uh-huh. Oh, man. So yeah. it, it's yeah, just it's really sweet. It's just really interesting just listening to you <laughs> that how much the mind plays into a lot of these things that we're dealing with. And sometimes we don't understand where they're coming from. And to right. me, to me, it just is amazing because... I still think the mind is that one thing that, yes, we know stuff about what we don't know a lot about it, though. And it's the more you do, the more you're able to unlock certain situations and help individuals in certain ways. Now, I notice on the site you have um, dealing with confidence, creativity, happiness, health, um, love and sex, spiritual energy, sports, excellent wealth and weight and exercise. When you work at these things, are you all you coming at them at the, from the same way, or do you come at each situation differently? Yeah, it, each of them is a little bit different. Like a lot of health issues, we'd go to find the cause, okay. something that happened that made them need to be sick. But if I'm working with a golfer, for instance, um, which is one of my favorite things to do because they always get so much better really fast, what we're doing is first we want to find out if they've got any issues um, you know, that are making them nervous or making them choke. And one of my clients, um, when he was in little league, his dad was the coach and his dad really gave him a hard time. And so that was a big pressure for him. But for golfers or for any athlete, if any of you that are trying to get better at a sport, if you just relax and close your eyes and you just do a mental rehearsal where you're imagining yourself in this case, swinging the golf club, but so slowly and so beautifully that every movement is precise and perfect. And when the club hits the ball, you can hear that beautiful sound and you see that ball go right where you want it, hitting that one little blade of grass there on the fairway, the exact spot that you want it to go. You're just rehearsing the excellence and the perfection of how your swing works when you're swinging well. Do you play golf? No, I don't, unfortunately. Yeah, it's such a mind game. It's it's amazing. But any sport, um, I've worked with baseball players and Uh basketball players, and their games just improve so much. So I know, you know, athletes know they should be doing mental rehearsal, but maybe they don't do it in this slow motion so that you're feeling this perfection of every movement and every little aspect of your game. 
So the, the idea of doing the visualization before you do the action, is that recommended on pretty much everything you do or just in sports? Uh, mostly that's in sports. Well, like if I were, if I were doing my hypnosis for public speaking, because, okay. you know, people are just so terrified right. of that. I'm, I'm going to rehearse it much like I would with a sport. I would be backstage, I'd be getting ready, and I'd be excited. And, and just before I get on that stage, I have the sound of the crowd, and it's making me feel so happy and excited. And then I step into this imaginary circle of excellence. So we've built this circle of excellence that's on the ground on whatever stage you're going to go out onto. And when you step into it, we have anchored the things that are like the confidence you have, the way you make people laugh, how spontaneous you are, and how the audience is in the palm of your hand. And so you step into that imaginary circle, and all of these things just give you that confidence and get you ready so that when you get out there, you're like, okay, I got it. Public speaking, I've had people ask me, because I've been doing it for a long time with the radio and everything else, that they ask me, how come I can do it without getting nervous? And I said, honestly, I don't know, because I've never thought about it before, (laughs) which is probably a good thing. If I think about it, I'll probably get uh, paralyzed. But I had a teacher teacher in college my freshman year. Um, I even remember her name. It It was such a moment. I gave my first speech to her in front of a classroom of 30 students. And she asked everybody we were done, how many of you guys felt nervous before you came up? And everybody raised their hand mm-hmm. except me. And she goes, oh, huh. Mr. Alexander, I said, I wasn't nervous. She goes, when yet, well, if you weren't nervous, you're not human. And from that point oh. on, that stuck with oh. me. And I'm thinking, good, oh, I'm, my gl- gosh. I'm glad I'm not human. Because if, <laughs> if I would have let it bother me, I wouldn't be doing this. Oh, funny. Yeah. Wow. But, that's, but she could have planted a negative yes. suggestion that would have caused conflict in you that could have made you nervous. But luckily, you just blew through it. Well, lucky for me, I yeah. wanted to be on the radio so bad that I was going to do whatever it takes to do it. But I think about well, that moment and then thinking about what you said about the kids, I'm going, I can see where a teacher would make an offhanded remark like that, maybe not mean anything by it. Or maybe do it in sarcasm, and the kid hold on to holding on to that, and that could be detrimental to them in the future. No, oh, absolutely, yeah. The the things that stick in kids' brains, and they don't even know enough how to describe it to you or to tell you that that caused the problem. And I've just seen it in so many kids; it's really a shame. I have a bedtime story. It's a hypnotic bedtime story that kids listen to. Okay, and. It's, it's amazing what's happened with some of these kids. Like for kids who don't like to go to sleep or have a hard time falling asleep, this wizard takes them on a journey um, to this really sleepy place. But before that, the wizard helps them experience something that they want to be good at, they want to be better at. Okay. And he, so the story can be different every time. But I just described this wizard's taking you to this place to show you how good you are at this and how much better you're getting. And so the child is imagining thing they want to imagine and it has had some amazing results there's a man who said his son wouldn't go to kindergarten because he cried and cried and cried and he just wouldn't even go in the door and he says we can't get him to go in and I said well try the story maybe he says you know next day my son went into kindergarten and now he helps all the other kids who are scared of school wow (laughs) he tells them the story about the wizard Uh oh my gosh 
sweet. And that has to be that has to be um, gratifying for you that you are hearing these stories of success coming back from these people, and especially the kids, because they're able now to take control of their lives for the most part and be able to actually move forward instead of being stuck in that that I would say paralyzed type emotion that they were stuck with because now they can move forward. Yeah. And you think about like, there's a mom that came up to me during one of my workshops and she said, my two daughters, they're in second and third grade and says they just fight all the time. Our house is just a battlefield, but the teachers are so exhausted because they, they just won't listen. They won't do anything the teacher tells them and they're disrupting the class all the time. But so I've had them listening to your story at night. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was at the school, one of the teachers said, what did you do to your daughter? She's being so nice and so helpful. And she's really kind to all the other kids. And the other teacher said the same thing. And she said, you know, at home, my two daughters now, they help me cook dinner. They clear the table. They're kind to each other. And they're nice to me. And it just happened, like, within a few days. And I had no idea, uh, Bill, I had no idea that this story could do that. That's awesome. Uh, but it. It does, yeah. And after, like, when they're falling asleep at the end, I just give real gentle suggestions uh-huh. that say you love your family and you like being kind to others and you love to smile and play and just, you know, general things. And it works. So if, if I hadn't made these stories, I don't know how many parents would still be having just, you know, horrible right. um, scenarios with their kids kids and getting them to sleep or getting them to go to kindergarten and stuff yeah it's i am so grateful that i get to do this and that i just i have a talent for it or something i don't know how well, it happened but you just said you just segued me into my next question which was perfect what do people do right now who are at home with their kids? I don't want to use the word stuck, mm-hmm. but they are home mm-hmm. and they're not used to being with them for 16 hours a day or or <laughs> 24 hours a day or, or depending on that or the kids. I mean, how do the parents deal with that? Not only with the kids, but how do the parents step back and take a breath? Because for some of these people, they've never mm. dealt with this before. Yeah, yeah, if you haven't been a stay-at-home parent. Well, the stress of the parent, even if the parent is trying to be patient or kind, the stress is still going to be projected onto the child, and the child's going to be stressed because of that. Because we pick up emotions from each other. It doesn't have to be words that transmit those emotions. And so it might be for the parents to take, let's say you take five or ten minutes in the morning when you first wake up, and you take time to set your intention for the day that, I am going to be patient today and I'm going to be kind to my kids and I'm going to be an inspiration to them to, you know, feel good and cooperate, whatever it is. But go ahead and set your energy level and your energy intention so that you're not having that edge, you know, that so the kids don't feel like they need to push back or fight back. Okay. And see if you can change their energy. Now, I did... I did an experiment at a seminar in New York um, a few years ago, and I had all of the participants in my workshop standing in a circle facing toward the middle, and I had two chairs in the middle, and I put two of my subjects in the middle, and we had everybody closing their eyes, and we were just going to learn how to send thoughts, intentions, emotions, images to the two people in the middle. Well, I didn't even know if this would work. I just said, hey, let's try this. (laughs) So, like, um, we did 12 different scenarios, 
and we change the two people in the middle from time to time. But I'll just tell you the first one. And for everybody listening, this is how powerful you are when you're in relationships or friendships or you're even with a stranger or you're sending emotions to your kids. So the first thing that I wanted the people standing up to visualize and feel, and then they would send that silently to the people in the middle, and the ones in the middle had their eyes closed. So I wrote down a beach was the first one. Okay. The second one I wrote down was a roller coaster, and I would have them, okay, we'll do this, and then i say, okay, now release that. And then the third one was a dark alley. So I, after we did those three, then I erased them from the board, and I would ask the two people in the middle what they noticed. And I told the others not to, not to smile or have any reaction to it, right? So the first one says, well, I could hear birds, and it seemed like I could hear some waves, and it felt like it was warm, and I was lying down. And then the next one said, well, I saw a blue sky, and I was in some place really relaxing, and it was just, I just felt softness and relaxing. I felt warm like the sun was on me, both of them. So <laughs> the second one, the roller coaster, the one girl says, I was going up, 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 up. I don't know why. I'm like sitting in something, and I'm going up, 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 and there's this clicking sound. And she didn't know it was a roller coaster, but she was getting that scenario. Okay. And then the, and then the next one says, I was falling and falling and falling. I don't know what was happening. I was scared but excited, but I was falling. And then I would erase them from the board so they weren't seeing them, of course. But the third one, the dark alley, the first girl says, my heart started pounding. I don't know why. It just started pounding so hard. I was scared, but I have no idea where I was because it was dark. Uh, so our collective thoughts caused her physiology to change dramatically where her heart was pounding and she was scared. And the second person said, I was running. And I don't know what from because it was dark, but I was running. So every person in the circle, maybe they were sending different feelings and different images, but they were sending collectively a, the similar scenario. Right. And we did that 12 times, and our success rate was like 90% wow. right on. Totally. <laughs> that's, so kind, now, that's kind of interesting. It is. So now you talk about what do you do when you're at home, you've got these kids all day. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I think is most important is your inner game has got to be Boy, that kindness or inspiration or maybe challenging them in fun ways, but knowing that your tension and your stress is going to be transmitted to them as tension and stress. You don't have to be yelling at them or anything, but they're going to get right. that inner turmoil. But yeah, that experiment, I mean, it totally changed how I think about um, relationships and what we share, how much information we share. I'm just thankful that my kids, my oldest is 20, or soon to be 20, my next one is soon to be 16, and my youngest is uh, 12. So they're pretty good. I don't have to really do, really do too much other than if they need help with homework and stuff like that. So they're able to interact on their own. I'm not working with kids under the age of 10. Those are the yeah. parents that I feel that those are the parents I feel for because I remember that when on summers and stuff like that. But this, I mean, it's been two months. You said you're going to be, you're going to be uh, in your situation for three. I mean, it's a long time. And again, for the parents, yeah. not only is it a long time now, you also have summer vacation coming around. So it's oh, going to be five yeah. months off in a lot of cases. 
because our schools yeah. here are closed um, until the end. Of, they're they're done. The school year is done except yeah, online learning. And I'm thinking, yeah. so you had April, May, June, July, August. So that's five months and add two weeks in March. So f- um, five and a half months is a long time to be at home unless you had a toddler or you're used to it. But it gets difficult. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I really don't know, like, you know, the mechanics of what you should do to keep kids entertained. I know when my kids were little, it was, you know, it was a big job. Um, <laughs> but getting your, your inner game in place so that you have, you're coming from patience and from joy and from, you know, the fun that it can be so that you're not causing more stress than there needs to be. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I think that um, parents need to find a way that they can actually self i don't want to maybe self-soothe is the word but talk themselves down and take a few minutes and get away from the situation and then try to regroup and then go on from there Um, because a lot of things happen in haste unfortunately yeah i was a teacher at a waldorf school i taught music and um oh man i had never been a teacher before and you don't have to be like credentialed to be a teacher at waldorf because it's a private school. So okay. as a musician, I taught all the kids instruments. And, oh, my God, these were really good kids. They were very nice, but it was really a lot of work, and it was very hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it got better because we had every Friday, if everybody did what they were supposed to do, we had a banana split party every Friday. Um, so there were things that I did to keep them um, feeling, you know, excited and having rewards and everything. Right. But I, I was a hypnotist at that time as well. So I I didn't call it hypnosis, but I did some hypnosis for different things. And one that I remember is Elliot, who was playing the saxophone, and he had no rhythm. Like, if he tried to tap his foot, it would not keep the beat. Ah. And so saxophone's kind of loud, and all the other instruments, while he's playing some other rhythm, hard for them to pay <laughs> attention to my rhythm. So, <laughs> so I sat down with Elliot was dur- during class, and I said, close your eyes. And I want you to hear this rhythm, and I want you to see that metronome in your brain. The metronome is matching the sound you hear when I snap my fingers. Okay. Good. Now let your foot tap to the same rhythm. Keep your foot tapping right now, and it's matching the metronome in your brain. And, and then I said, when you, because his eyes are closed, I said, when you imagine seeing my hands move and I'm conducting, your foot matches the movement of my hand your metronome in your brain matches the movement of that and i i think that took under five minutes and from then on he had rhythm wow it, he, his foot had rhythm his brain had a metronome you, you, you should sell that to every band leader in the country um especially teaching kids how to play piano for goodness sakes um yeah, it, I, I just find it interesting. And just hearing that, hearing that story, your your voice is very soothing. And I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> hypnotize me because I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. So you don't have to worry about that. But <laughs> but we're we're um, we're coming up almost on the end of the program. And and before I let you go, I want to know what you want to tell my audience that I have not gotten out of you. What what is the one thing you want to let them know? Well, I think one of the most important things that we do to our detriment is our self-talk. And even without voicing it out loud, every one of us, including me at times, 
we're saying negative things to ourselves. And we're saying, oh, why can't I just stop doing that? Why, or why do I always screw that up? Or this is going to be too hard. I, I'm just not smart enough for this or whatever. So if you could just change this one thing, and, and when you notice yourself saying it, you just stop and take a little breath and go, nope, that's not who I am. And then put something positive in there. And I know it sounds kind of, you know, uh, too easy or something, but it's big. And so you say, no, I can do this. I know. I'm smart enough. I can do that. Or if you're upset about something, you're saying, God, my temper. I just, oh, I get so mad and I blow up so easily. Stop and say, no, 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 that's not who I am. I do feel calm and I keep my, keep my wits about me. And I'm able to just easily notice the situation and react in a way that makes me feel peaceful and good. So now, if you do that enough, when you change that self-talk, you're going to be hypnotizing yourself constantly all through the day to have a different reaction or a different skill. Or even if it's for your golf game, if you get up to tee off and you go like, oh, God, I hope I don't shank it again or whatever, you know, you got to change that <laughs> So do you believe that everybody can do self-hypnosis then? Yeah, yeah, we all can. We some people have a harder time relaxing, and some relax really easily. Okay. Um, and we all can give our own suggestions to ourselves. It's a lot easier to listen to it from like a recorded program, so you don't have to think of what should I say. Okay. Um, and my programs are not just like direct suggestions saying, "Oh, you are strong and you are powerful." <laughs> They're doing therapy. And I have like over 400 different topics that I, and wow. nail biting. I'm going to send you the one for nail biting, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is going to be in your, in your email, email. inbox. <laughs> um, and, and then you can let me know how it goes. That's but what cool. I wanted to do is I made a coupon code for your listeners okay. to take 30% off of anything. So, and that coupon code is bill 30. So just bill three O and then it gives them a nice big discount so they can try some stuff out. And like you said, there's a lot of free stuff on there as well. And they can ask me questions. I reply to everybody and help them out. That is that is fantastic. I really appreciate that, Wendy. Um, and the other thing is that with everybody being in this situation that we're all stuck at home, what is the one advice to keep people from going back into the refrigerator when they don't have to? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, well, first of all, you, you want to make sure you're actually hungry, but self-talk again, you go, you're going mindlessly for the fridge and then you go, wait a minute, I'm not hungry. I think I want to go for a walk instead. Okay. And you can be in charge of making a subtle change in deciding that, oh, I'm not hungry. I want a cup of tea. And if you do that repeatedly, you're going to break the pattern of going mindlessly to that fridge for your dopamine rush. So, yeah, get out there outside and go for a walk or hit the floor and do some push-ups. Doing anything that's physical will give you that dopamine so that you don't need to get it from the food. And that is a big problem, especially with sugar, man. That sugar is poison. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it basically, uh, it's, a, it's a very addictive, especially when your kids have a lot of Easter candy around. And you have a daughter that <laughs> loves to bake, which her, my 12-year-old's oh. new favorite thing is now baking. And she makes one killer chocolate chip cookie. I will say that. So, mm, boy, yeah. yeah. So that's that, that's wow. that's the tough part for dad. But anyhow, Wendy, I really that appreciate is. it. I had fun tonight, 
And um, again, I'm very relaxed just by listening to you talk to me. And you didn't even do any hypnosis, at least not that I know of. Maybe I was out for 10 <laughs> minutes did and I didn't. I? Yeah, maybe I was out for 10 <laughs> minutes and didn't realize it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't remember the part where I where I mentioned that anytime you think about going to the fridge, you'll notice it's so easy to just walk away and go for a walk or a run. I hope it's that maybe easy. Maybe you feel like doing some squats or <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even remember. I don't. That I, I don't. I don't remember it. Sleep tonight. And when you go to sleep tonight, and your mind is floating away into sleep, you'll realize that going and eating mindlessly isn't for you anymore. Well, it's not your thing. Well, I hope. It, I hope it works, Wendy. I really do. Well. Wendy, I really appreciate you taking part of your uh, evening with us, and I really enjoyed it. And I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Oh, for sure. Anytime. I'm happy to help. And I'll keep giving your listeners all kinds of free stuff. There's lots of free stuff on the site so they can find out what it's like to get hypnotized. That that is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you, Wendy, very much. And uh, everybody, you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander. We'll be back in just a moment. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Well, hard to believe another hour is gone, and you're listening to online with Bill Alexander here at WMCK.FM, McKeesport, WLDJFM 107.5 Newcastle at HOFMRadio.com, and also at Delmarva Talk Radio at DelmarvaTalkRadio.com, and of course, Fayette TV Channel 77, and we're always streaming online at iTalkNet.com. Thank you very much for Wendy Friesen for joining us. Her website is Wendy. Wendy with an I, W-E-N-D-I dot com. And she was kind enough to give us a promotional code that'd be able to take 30% off all of her services. And it is Bill30. So put that in the coupon code Bill30 and you'll be able to take advantage of it. And it will be in the program notes of the uh, program this evening. Thank you very much for joining us. I had a wonderful time. And we'll be back in uh, real soon here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.